So we're back to studying um, 2 Timothy. And as a review, um, the reason why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, which is the last letter that Paul wrote to anyone, because after a few months, I think he died. He was executed in Rome. So he wrote this last letter to Timothy to encourage Timothy to keep on preaching and witnessing the gospel. Paul is telling Timothy, there is nothing more important than the gospel because it is the only the gospel that can save and change a person's life. And I'm seeing this everywhere, right? I, I, I think the fruit of the gospel, the evidence of it, by the grace of God, I'm seeing it in a lot of places. I'm seeing it online. I'm seeing it amongst you. Um, I, I was listening to a, like a podcast, a glimpse of podcast, like clips of podcast, about this young Christian woman in her like 20s. Um, and she said all her life she suffered from severe mental disorder, like issues. She's really beautiful. She, she, does, she seems to have everything put together, but she says for her entire life she was suffering from mental disorder. And she says, and not until I understood the gospel and I start living the life in obedience to the gospel that my life started to change. She said, not only do I understood it, I started obeying it. And it is in the obedience of it, she says, when her mind and her actions became the same, that she was free from the mental disorder that plagued her all her life. I think that's exactly how the gospel is supposed to work. You understand it with your mind. You obey it with your life. Then you change. There's nothing like the gospel. There's no other truth. There's no other power that can change the person's life than the gospel. And I'm seeing the evidence of this in your lives well. I can see the understanding of the gospel deepening in some of your lives. And I can see the fruit that is being born because of that understanding. Some of you have gone to church all your lives, but never really understood the gospel. You've heard of it, but you never knew it. But I'm seeing some of you who come to coming to understanding, coming to knowing the gospel. And that knowledge of the gospel is bearing fruit in your life. Because it is such an important message and power, Paul wants, to, wants Timothy to be a faithful witness to it. Even in the hardships, even if no one approves of him, Paul says, be faithful in the preaching and the witnessing of the gospel. Listen to me carefully. The job of witnessing the gospel is not only reserved for a few men. The, the, the goal of witnessing the truth of the gospel is given to every Christian. The purpose of the Christian's life here is to live a life as a witness of the life-changing power of the gospel. If you are a Christian, your job duties in this world is that of a witness of a living power of the gospel. 
That's your job. Right? The way that Christianity became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire is not because of a handful of faithful men, but it's because everyday Christian, Christians became witnesses of the living Christ. Alex O'Connor is one of the preeminent atheists in, in the YouTube space. He's an atheist, right? His whole YouTube channel is atheist, why Christianity is not true or whatever. And even he said, something must, must have happened in the Easter morning because hundreds of people were willing to die for the, for, for the claim that Jesus is alive. Alice O'Connor saying, even though he doesn't believe in, in Christianity, he has to admit something happened during Easter morning because hundreds of people were willing to die as a witness for Jesus Christ. Those martyrs were witnesses for Jesus Christ. You are, the, you are called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I was like praying on Monday morning, I guess. I was on my bike praying. And before I prayed, I listened, my, by God's grace through YouTube algorithm, I, I, I watched an interview with Brock Purdy, right? Brock Purdy, the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, right? And I cried. And this is what Brock Purdy said. He said, I want to live a life that is set apart for Jesus Christ. I want to live a life that is set apart for Jesus Christ. It is easy for someone to say, I believe in Jesus and that, and that I need to repent of my sins. But we need to strive to put our sins away. He says, I want to live a life set apart for Jesus. I am called to be a witness. I am called to share the word. I have the knowledge, I have the knowledge of the Spirit, and I want to give this knowledge to as many people as possible. I started crying. Go Niners. Right? Rock pretty job. Football, yeah, is important. But his primary job duty is a witness for Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. I visited one of you, I'm not going to mention this person's name, at this person's place of work. And at this person's place of work, he or she not only, it's very, very difficult to read, he or she not only does his or her job really well, but every chance this person gets, he, he tells of his co-workers, of his clients, of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea here. We're witnesses of the power of the gospel. And, but it's not easy to be a witness of the power of the gospel because to do so, the world will call us fools. And the world will oppose us. It wasn't easy for Timothy to be an, a, a witness for the gospel because, like we said, he, he faced external and internal opposition. Externally, the Roman government was going after Christians. The emperor Nero, in particular, were persecuting Christians at the time. Anyone, like, 
Because we're all over 18, right? So let's get a little graphic. Do you know how Nero persecuted the Christians? He just didn't, like, behead them. For some of them, he let, he, he let his dogs do their business with a Christian. And after the dog tore these Christians apart, he would gaslight the Christians. And he would torch them. And he would use them as a human torch to light up his streets. Timothy was a pastor of the church of Ephesus during the time of Nero. The government government is simply not going to cancel you. The government is going to kill you for being a Christian. Internally, there was division by false teachers, by prideful men and women. There was division in the church. It wasn't easy for Timothy. And Timothy, by his natural personality, wasn't a loudmouth like Peter. He was a timid young man. I don't know. I'm no one special. That was Timothy. And because Timothy was such, such a timid person, in the light of fierce, divisive opposition, Paul says, Paul's encouraging Timothy, and that's why he wrote this letter. In fact, that's what verse 1 is about. Timothy, Paul says, you then, then meaning because the importance of the gospel and the grave persecution that's coming your way, my child, Timothy, Paul loves Timothy, Paul calls Timothy a spiritual child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, what you are called to be, the witness and the proclaimer of the gospel, is incredibly important but hard. Therefore, you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in other words, Paul says, you, Timothy, you need to be strengthened and encouraged by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right, guys, put your concentration cap on. This is the meat of the sermon. Here we go. How does one find strength in Christ Jesus? To understand what it means to find grace in Christ Jesus, you have to understand the purpose of our salvation. The purpose of our salvation is not only to save you from hell and take you to heaven, but the purpose of salvation is for you to be in the sphere, a sphere, an area, where the living God personally interacts with you. John chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, this is Jesus' prayer to God, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What Jesus is asking the Father to do is save my people so that they can, so that these people can be with us, the Trinity. The purpose of your salvation, it is so that you will be transported from a sphere where God doesn't exist, God doesn't interact with you, into a sphere where the living God interacts with you. To be a Christian means residing in that sphere where the living God interacts with you. 
And this has been the dominant thought in my mind throughout this week. I live in a sphere where God interacts with me, where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit interacts with me. In that sphere, I find love that I do not have in my... In, I, I have love that is naturally not inside of me. I have wisdom that is apart from me. I have courage that is apart, not found in me. I have insights not, that, that are apart from me. I have understanding that is, not, that is apart from me. When I'm in that sphere, God gives me his love, his provision, his wisdom, his understanding, his courage, and his ability. That's why it is so important for the Christian to reside in this fear where God interacts with you. It happened to me yesterday. Yesterday, once again, I was praying. As I was praying, I can feel this deep bitterness and hatred bubbling up inside me. And I go, and I was trying to pray for you, but I couldn't get over the bitterness. I said, Lord, I am so bitter and angry. All I fear is bitterness and anger right now, and I can't pray. Lord, help me overcome this bitterness and anger and give me love. After I pray that prayer, it would be a good story if I told you that bitterness went away. It did not. I ended my prayer bitter and angry. But something happened during the course of that day. Even though the bitterness did not disappear moment, at that moment, throughout the course of that day, I can feel the bitterness being lifted off from me and being replaced with such love and understanding against the person that I felt bitter towards. What is in me yesterday was bitterness. Love wasn't in me. But when I dwell in the sphere of God, He really does give me love. Love that I do not have within me on my own naturally. God, you see, constantly gives of himself to us in that sphere where he exists. And Paul says, Timothy, the way you are encouraged by Christ, it is by for you to remain in that sphere. Timothy, you are able to be in that sphere because of grace of Jesus Christ. What is the grace of Jesus Christ? How does the grace of Jesus Christ make us belong to that sphere where God exists? Listen, I'm really into Genesis right now because, you know, we're reading Genesis together. In Genesis 18, remember Genesis 18? Paul's, like, you know, Abraham prays for Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and God says, remember God says, if ten righteous people are found in that city, I will, not burn, I will not destroy those cities. 
even though all the people in the city are wicked, cities are wicked, if there could be 10 righteous people found in that city, I will not burn that, I will not destroy that city. When I was reading this example, I go, oh my goodness, the reason why I am not destroyed for my sins is because the righteousness of Jesus Christ cleanses me and makes me right before God. Do you understand? Because Jesus is my champion, because Jesus lived the life that I, I should have lived, and because he died the death that I should have died, because Jesus Christ is my champion, I, am no, longer, I no longer exist in the sphere of the spiritually dead, but through Christ, I am in the sphere where God exists. The purpose of salvation, the purpose of your forgiveness, the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection and giving you new life, it is so that you can reside in that sphere of God. Am I making sense? That is why it is absolutely important for Christians to exist constantly, daily, in the sphere where God exists. Look, remember a couple of weeks ago I said, it is, there is something wrong if your Christian life is a constant struggle. If I say, how is your Christian life? If you say, it is always struggling. There is something wrong because the fruit of a person residing in the sphere of God. It's not struggle. It's joy. The, whole, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not struggle, lukewarmness, depression. That is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, joy, right? Yes, there are struggles in the Christian life. But when you reside in the sphere of God, those struggles transition into joy. Our Christian life, if we constantly reside in the sphere where God exists, it cannot help but to be characterized by joy and this amazing love, this amazing understanding. That should be the experience of the Christian. If anyone else telling you that's otherwise, they're wrong. Because why would Christ save you to leave you in your lukewarmness? You need to dwell within the sphere where the living God interacts with you. And the question is, why don't you dwell in that sphere? common answer is, number one, perhaps people who are spiritually dead have no interest in God and have no interest in dwelling in that sphere. A person who, has, who is spiritually dead, who has no interest in the things of God, have no interest in dwelling in that sphere. I saw, like, I see, I, I follow a lot of atheists, by the way. And there was this atheist guy, and he says, I don't, need, I don't need God in my life because I'm doing well. I have a good job. 
I have a prospering YouTube channel. I have two daughters. They're doing really well. I don't need God. That guy, he defines well-being in terms of his material success. And therefore, there's no need for God, he says. Maybe we don't dwell in that sphere because we don't really think we need to dwell in that sphere because our material lives are going so well. Or you don't dwell in that sphere because you don't, you're not persuaded that God can make a difference in that sphere. Okay, this is the part of the sermon that's going to sting a little. Warning, I am not thinking of anyone in particular when I give these examples, okay? These are just general survey of the people that I talk to. So when I talk to people, I ask about their prayer life. Are you spending time with the Lord? And man, and they gave me all these different answers of why they don't. Someone says, oh, I don't really carve out time for God. I pray to God when I'm driving. Or someone says, oh, I pray to God right before I go to sleep on my bed. I open up a Bible and I, and I read it and I think about it and I, pray, and I, and I sleep. Or the, another person says, oh, I don't really have a separate prayer life. I just, you know, I just serve God during my place of work. Many people that I talk to basically are justifying why they are not carving out specific time with God. And the problem with not carving out a specific time with God is that you're depriving yourself of the sphere where God exists personally in your life. Yes, he exists everywhere, whether you know it or not. Yes, God exists everywhere. But you get to have this time alone with you and God, where God will feed you and empower you and give you wisdom and make your heart live. Why in the world are people depriving themselves of such great place? I don't have joy in my life. You know, why, you know why you don't have joy in your life? How much time do you spend in that sphere? Praying in your car is fine. Thinking about God in your work is fine. Thinking about God before you go to sleep is they're all fine. But how much are you actually carving out intentional time with the Lord in your life? That is why we don't have spiritual vitality. Look, I, my, the way that I carve out time, I do a different t- Sometimes I ride my bike. Indoor, I'm not a, I don't want to die, right? Indoor, I ride my bike, and I listen to the word, and I pray, and I was like pounding my Peloton yesterday when I was praying. Sometimes I pound my Peloton when I'm praying. Sometimes I walk outside, like, like a crazy person, talk to myself, like, like this, walking outside. Sometimes I'm in my rocking chair, rocking back and forth, praying. 
But always, I carve out time. Not because I'm a righteous man, but because I will die without it. I will starve without it. Guys, what is your excuse? You're too busy? No offense, but you're going to tell me you're busy? Carve out time with God so that you will be encouraged. Paul tells Timothy, the only way they can be faithful to the gospel in the light of the opposition is to be strengthened by the grace of Christ within that sphere. Verse 2, Timothy, what your job is, your job is important. Your job, Timothy, verse 2, is to, is to share, what, share everything that you heard from me to faithful men. Verse 2, Paul's telling Timothy, everything that you have heard from me, you need to share it with faithful men so that these faithful men will share it to other people. What Paul, when Paul says, um, what you have heard from me, he's talking about the full description of the gospel. Full description of the gospel is not only Jesus Christ dying for you so that you can go to heaven, but the full presentation of the gospel is who God is, who we are, how we fell, who Christ is, what we have in Christ. The full panorama of the gospel. You have heard from me, Timothy. Now share this gospel to faithful men, men who love the Lord, men who fear the Lord, so that these faithful men can preach the gospel to other people. Do you know how the church was, is preserved all throughout these years? Because faithful men presented the full gospel to the churches. My job to you is to share what I have learned from my teachers so that, one, so that you can take the message of the gospel and share it with the next generation. That's what God wants for you in your life. To be a witness for Christ for the next generation. And the only way that you can be a faithful witness to Christ for the next generation is for you to hear the full comprehensive panorama of the gospel so that you'll be persuaded by that so that you can share it with the next generation. Do you understand? I pray there will be young men, young faithful men who take this mission to take this charge of presenting the gospel to the next generation. I pray there will be a next generation of men who is more than about their careers and more about building a better life for themselves here, but men who take the gospel 
to try to instill it on the next generation of men. Guys, I'm 52 years old. I will die soon. How is, will the gospel die with me? You need to spread it to the next generation. You know, to do this, Timothy, you need to be encouraged by the Lord. Verse 3, Timothy, Paul says, don't forget that you are at war. Verse 3, Paul tells Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, Paul gives metaphor to Timothy of what the Christian ministry is like. The metaphor that Paul gives to Timothy, what a Christian ministry is like, is that Timothy, if you're in the Christian ministry, you are a soldier. If you are in the Christian ministry, you are an athlete. If you are in the Christian ministry, you are a farmer. There are three metaphors. These metaphors convey Timothy's job description. You're a soldier, you're an athlete, and you're a farmer, man. What's the significance of Paul telling Timothy that he's a soldier? Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, you are at war right now. The world is a battlefield, and you are a soldier. My dear embraced people, this world is a battlefield. It is not, you know, the green pasture of the Alps. It's not a place of still calm waters. This place, this world, this reality is a battlefield. And it's full of enemies who are trying to tell you lies and your children lies so that you will not be with Christ, so that you'll be satisfied with dwelling apart from God. The world is full of intelligent, spiritual Beings and their design is to derail you from God by lying to you, by distracting you, by giving you an illusion of what life is supposed to be. Once again, these spiritual forces try to derail you from God by lying to you, by giving you false promise, and by selling you an illusion of what this life is supposed to be. It is a battlefield, man. The enemy lies to you. And the number one thing the enemy lies to you is you do not need God. You do not need to dwell within his sphere. You do not need to interact with him. You do not need to do anything. You just need to focus on the bread of life. The enemy is telling you, this world is about your comfort. Making your parents proud. Buying a nice house in Fairfax. And that is what life is. You don't need God. Like that atheist, I don't need God, I have a good life. Same lie he tells to you. You don't need God, man. 
And the lie that Satan tells you is to convince you that you are not at war. This is peacetime. No, it is war. Every day, Paul says in Ephesians 6, we struggle with the enemy. Struggle here means wrestling, hand-to-hand combat. Do you notice this in your life? Isn't there this thought that is implanted in your head that you can't get out of? And the last thing that you think you need is God. Isn't it weird? There is thing that depresses you, the thing that makes you anxious, the things that make you unforgiving and hateful and spiteful. And yet, rather than going to God, you just want to stay there. Isn't that weird? When you dwell within the sphere of God, really, these things just like fly away. You, get, you can get a grip. But you don't want to get a grip. It's weird. We don't want to get a grip. We want to just stay in our miserable thinking. Because that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. You don't need God, man. Or God only exists to facilitate your plan for yourself. Is it possible? Look, God is God, of, God, is God who's living, right? God has a plan for you, and you have a plan for you. Do you admit that his plan for you, it can be different from your plan for you? Yeah? Maybe his plan for you is completely different from your plan for you. But all you're really thinking about God is God, who, God is there to facilitate your plan for you. That's how the enemy wants you to think. Define your life in your terms, not God's terms. Use God for your terms, not his terms. It's war. And you, as a soldier, are called to wage war. What, how do you wage war? You wage the war based on the weapons that your commanding officer gave you, gives you. What is the weapon that your commanding officer gives you? Three things. The word, prayer, and sacrificial love. The way you wage war against the enemy is is the word, prayer, and sacrificial love. These are the things that you use to wage the war against the enemy. What else? In order for a soldier, always have to listen to the directive of the, of the commanding officer, right? You always need to communicate with a commanding officer, right? Soldiers are not just left by themselves to fight in the field alone. The, co- the commanding officer constantly is in communication with them. To wage the war against the demons who attack you, 
You need to communicate with the commanding officer. You need to communicate with Jesus Christ. You need to dwell within his sphere. How would you fight a war if you're not taking directives from your commanding officer? Paul says, wage the good war, fight the good battle to please the one who enlisted him. Paul says, why do you wage the war? Why do you fight the way he wants you to fight? Why do you open up a line of communication with him? So that you will please him. At the end of the day, what our lives are about, Timothy, Paul says, is about pleasing God. Look, the way that I read Genesis right now is I, I, I go through, I read, the, I read Genesis through King James Version, right? Fantastic. I love King James. And in Genesis chapter 4, when he talks about Cain and Abel, I think Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, it says, God respected Abel's, Abel and Abel's gift. Interesting. When Abel lifted up his offering to the Lord, it's, it says, God respected Abel and Abel's offering. There is a way to live your life where God will respect your work. There is a way to live a life where God will respect the way you live your life. And that's the thing that matters, doesn't it? Timothy, fight the good battle. Wage war against the nonsense. Wage war against the lies. Wage war against the government. Wage war against Satan. Wage war against your flesh. Wage war with the instruments of war that God has given you. Prayer, word, sacrificial love. By communicating with the commanding officer so that you will please your commanding officer. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God will respect, is, is respecting the way you live your life? There is a way that you live where God will respect your life. The life that God respects you to live your life is waging, waging the war as God has commanded. Not only that, you're a soldier, Timothy. You're also an athlete, Timothy. Athlete, verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless... He competes according to the rules. Every athlete, when he competes, he has to compete according to the rules, right? If you don't have rules to the game, then it's just chaos. It doesn't make any sense. The rules that Paul talks about here to Timothy is, Timothy, you are to be a witness of the gospel, be preacher of the gospel, but you need to do, the, you need to do it in accordance to God's rules, what are the God's rules for Timothy of how he should do ministry? The rule that Paul, Paul, Paul tells Timothy of he should follow, that he should follow when he does ministry, there are two rules. Rule number one, deny yourself and follow Christ. And number two, live morally. The way you do ministry is you deny yourself and follow Christ. Deny, what did Jesus say? Anyone who wants to be my disciple, he must carry his cross and follow me. Denying himself means, this is basically what denying yourself means. It means 
you are not that important anymore. What matters is the name of Christ and the message of Christ to be delivered. Paul said in Ephesians, Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live, I live in the faith of Son. I live in faith in the Son of God who died for me. What Paul is saying here in this is, when I, when I believed in Christ, what Paul is, it doesn't matter anymore. The name of Jesus is what matters. When you live a life, truly guys, when you live a life sacrificing yourself for the name of Jesus, I promise you, you will, you will experience more spiritual vitality. If you're primarily living for yourself, for your kids, for your family, if that's the primary motive for your life, for your life, you will never experience spiritual vitality. Look, I'm so blessed because I get to share, I get to just like give myself to my clients, to my family, to you. It's just a wonderful way to live a life. Because the more that I give of myself for Christ and his church and my family, the more close I feel with the Lord. And the more I experience the fruit of ministry. This is different from a life that's only about my comfort, me watching Netflix during my days off, right? If I'm primarily about, like, Netflix and, like, me, you know, me just spending my free time for me. Will I ever experience this kind of amazing fruit in my life? I don't think so. But because by the grace of God, I get to just expend myself. I see his fruits in my life. And guys, that's what Jesus means when he says, deny yourself and follow me. Whoever chooses to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of my kingdom will save it. I think that's what he means. Say, not me, not important anymore, but expending myself for Christ. Oh, what a life that is. And finally, Paul says, Timothy, you're a farmer. Farmer means, farmer means, farmer work really, that's what Paul means, work really hard. Farmers work really hard. Like a few years ago, I, I saw an interview with a farmer, right? And he says, this is how he lives his life. He gets up in the crack of dawn, feeds cattle, does his farm thing, feeds the cattle, like take care of the cattle, have breakfast, go out of the field, work the field. Then at 4 o'clock, he comes, he comes home, Watches himself up, eat dinner, go to a PTA meeting, meet with the teachers about the school education. Because they're in a rural area, right? They need all the help they can get. They come back, he reads his Bible, he just falls asleep. Farmers work really hard. Timothy, Paul says, work really hard. Guys, Being a Christian witness involves hard work. 
if you have more time left in your life, then you know what to do with. Maybe you're not as faithful to what God has called you to be as you should be. Carving out time to spend with the Lord is hard work. Carving out time to spend time with the Lord is really hard work. It is. But to be a faithful witness, you need to put in the hard work to dwell with the Lord. You do. There is no substitute. Working hard, being an excellent employee for Jesus' name is hard work. Leading small group is hard work. Attending prayer meeting is hard work. Looking after crying babies is hard work. Discipling your children is hard work. Hard, work hard. There's this guy named Cam Haynes. He's one of the famous YouTubers. He's a Christian. This is what he does. He gets up in the morning. He runs a marathon. He, he runs 18 miles every morning. Every morning he runs 18 miles. Gets up at 4, runs 18 miles. Goes to work in the energy company. Comes back. Works out some more. Spent time with his family, has his own business. And if you look at Cam Haynes' website, he says, Jesus is king. I believe in prayer. I believe in hard work. That's what the Lord has called me to be. Work hard, Timothy. Work hard, Christian. But most importantly, work hard so that you can dwell with the Lord who will strengthen you. That's how Christians should live. We don't have all the time in the world. We have only a very small time. But we can do a lot if we know what our mission is, and we can do a lot if we're encouraged by the Lord. Do not waste your life with civilian things. Civilian things means things that don't really matter. Live for the Lord. Let's pray.